namaste all of you uh, this is the second day of our conference we had wonderful papers yesterday on uh, different aspects of uh, indic knowledge systems in uh, puranas we covered areas of uh, one of the main areas that has attracted the attention of uh, uh, scholars who studied indic knowledge systems in puranas is the cosmology area time yugas cyclic time and that was covered yesterday expansively many wonderful scholars presented various concepts from uh, puranas with regard to how uh, large time scales uh, have been taken into account what are the various views of yuga uh, and yuganta inside the puranas how some of the ideas in puranas with regard to cosmology as corroborated by the contemporary scientific research uh, in astronomy and astrophysics and other areas and uh, we were able to see how uh, the accuracy of the figures also the quantitative data uh inside the puranas is also very close to the uh, figures that have been arrived at by the modern science and uh, there were uh, papers about how uh, the concept of creation srishti uh, can be used for contemporary application and also how adhibhautika adhidaivika adhyatmika levels of understanding are useful and then we had a big session on dharma raja dharma values how uh, those are useful uh, for contemporary times uh, wonderful papers covering for example raja dharma in masya purana and uh, how that is being used in the contemporary syllabus uh, in ramayana for example values in ramayana uh all those aspects were very well covered yesterday and uh, we had wonderful papers on yoga sankhya ayurveda how these ideas uh, are uh, from puranas actually they, those those were radical proposals uh that puranas contributed to yoga shastra uh, not the other way around and uh, how puranas give evidence for the other sankhya approach other than the karika sankhya karika approach how puranas give evidence that that is older than imagined uh, and we saw how ayurvedic ideas in agni purana of uh, contain and we covered two schools of vedanta the shaiva siddhanta and advaita vedanta that uh, are covered in bhagavata purana and saura purana so vast coverage diversity of ideas today uh, another very very important area in puranas uh, that has caught the attention of some of the scholars uh, which is geology geography geomorphology and climatology these areas this is uh, really uh, 
an important area which uh, caught the attention of Indic scholars to some extent, but not the global international scholars. Uh, it can be expected from them because uh, they don't consider the uh, geological and geomorphological ideas in Puranas to be worthy of uh, uh, scientific attention. Um, but there are scholars, Indic scholars, who have uh, done enough research to show that the geographical, geomorphological, and uh, geological and climatological ideas in uh, Puranas are not so uh, much away from the contemporary scientific research as uh, is usually imagined. Today we have a wonderful team of scholars, panel of scholars for this topic. Uh, as usual, our uh, Tupaswami Shastri Sanskrit Research Institute is the biggest collaborator uh, in this aspect, biggest contributor for this panel. There are many scholars who have come from Tupaswami Shastri Sanskrit Research Institute who are contributing ideas to this area called geology, geomorphology, and climatology. And uh, we are starting this session with, the, with a talk by the biggest expert in this area, uh, Sri Sai Papineni Garu, who has done enormous amount of research in this area and has come out with uh, wonderful publications his recent publication, Hymns of Ahappa, uh, a very big volume on uh, the history of India traced from geomorphological evidences, geomorphological data that is available from the Puranas and uh, connecting it to the contemporary research, geo geology and geological geomorphological research. He uh, actually this is uh, uh, this extends the history of India beyond the normally known time scales. What happens is usually when we take the history of India backwards, uh, people go up to some prehistoric times uh, and stop there, but not to uh, even more ancient times from where the evidences in the sources of history are available. The, uh, this research uh, by Sri Sai Papineni Garu, our uh, celebrity figure, author, uh, who has done enormous amount of research in this area, uh, he, it, it proves uh, that that data can be chronologically also used uh, scientifically and uh, with accuracy. Now I request uh, Sri Sai Papineni Garu to give his talk uh, on the geomorphological ideas and how they are useful for the chronology of Indian history. Namaste, Nagarjuna. It was actually a very, very auspicious meeting which I had with uh, 
Harikiran Garu, a few months back, to a mutual friend. Uh, I am very fortunate to have a meeting with him because you know, it was just one conversation and my book has happened and it was published. Of course, I mean, you were the one who vetted the book and then I mean, the manuscript and then said, I mean, it's worthy. So, uh, but only thing is, I mean, you have a very, very high opinion about my research. So, thank you very much. Uh, so, like, I mean, uh, Nagaraj Garu has just said now, uh, uh, I will be speaking about my book more than the geomorphological research because, I mean, the, I, I see the names. They're all experts in that field. I mean, they will be spending hours and days and years together researching about the, uh, the surface of the earth in ancient times. I mean, it's a paleogeology or a paleo, I mean, a geomorphology, the climate and all such things. So for me to say anything about, you know, geomorphology will be like overreaching. So, let me talk about my book. I mean, this book is called Hymns of Harappa. Why I call hymns is because I mean, I mean, most of the traditional literature that we have available about the antiquity of India, the, the early civilizations of India, is in the form of slokas. And I can find a better English word for uh, slokas than hymns. And of course, it rhymes with Harappa, so that was um, the issue. So I call it Hymns of Harappa. It is an attempt to put the traditional knowledge that we have in the form of the Vedic knowledge, or I mean, we call it the Puranic text, the Itihasa Purana tradition, and a few other legends. And the legends from the neighboring sources, like from Mesopotamia and uh, such other uh, civilized regions in the neighborhood, and put them in a kind of, you know, a physical, a seeable, a material context, which in in uh, in the uh, chronologically during the Harappan phase. Uh, and try to come out with a historical narrative for the, the earliest civilization that India has produced, probably world has produced. Now, the history, when you talk about history, what is history? So, history is something that has happened before we arrived or you arrived. Uh, for example, I mean, you imagine that, I mean, you have arrived at a work meeting in the office or the conference is going on, you have come about half an hour late because of whatever the reason. The first thing you ask the person next to you who had been there, a question. This particular question elicits an answer. The answer is history. And let me tell you what this question is. You ask what happened. What happened is the question. And the answer to that question is history. For example, you ask what happened to the guy next to you. And he says, this has happened. Iti ha asa. That is what is history. Iti ha asa. This has happened. If you 
go to the greatest itihasa that we have, which is the Mahabharata. Janamejaya asked the same question to Vaisampaya. What happened? What, what happened before? What happened to my forebears, my ancestors? And he gives an answer and a long poem and then says, that was Mahabharata. That's how the Itihasa came from. And Jaya may ask another question. He actually asked, how do you know? Vaishampayanaji, how do you know that this has happened? And he said, Sukha told me, Sukha the parrot. So the next Logical question is, how did Shuka know? Was he there when the Mahabharata happened? No. Again, he says that Shuka was told this story by Vyasa. Vyasa told him the story. Was Vyasa at that time? Probably, I mean, yesterday, uh, Dr. Nagaraj Garu has spoken more about uh, Vyasa. So you can actually, I mean, go through the videos. I mean, uh, that was pretty comprehensive. Vyasa was there. At least he was an eyewitness to some of the episodes in Mahabharata. Even he had a reporter reporting him, a war reporter called Sanjay reporting him on the actual war. He had not gone there. Vyasa is like, I mean, if you go to a museum to know about history, Vyasa is like, the collector of items, he is the compiler of them, he classified them, he is the reviewer and the curator of the whatever that he has collected. What is that he has collected? He has collected the knowledge of his ancestors, his earlier people. And it is of two types. One he called Puranas and the other he called the tribe, the Vedas, which he actually made it into the traditional knowledge, what we find in the three Vedic uh, compendia called the Rig, Yaju, and uh, Samaveda, was something which he had collected. He had codified them into three books. That's the reason why I mean, he is called Vyasa. Now, he has also done what he has done, collected the Puranas. Puranas, what are the Puranas? He says it's Puranas. The old ones, old stories. Whatever they are, so they are Puranas Amanas. They are the, the stories of the past. Which he had collected then and where he had collected them from. Now, that means to the Puranas also, Vyasa was not an eyewitness. Yasa was not an eyewitness to the Vedas. He, Vedas, Veda doesn't have even the name Veda Vyasa in it. He is collected it from his predecessors and put it together, codified them. Similarly, the Puranas he collected from Sutas. The Sutas, who are these Sutas? These Sutas are court officials or royal uh, officers 
as per uh, Ardhashastra, sutras and Magadhas. So these sutras were the compilers of the Puranas. I come to what Puranas are. And they are the ones who recited them at an appropriate period, at appropriate times, maybe during the festivals or the important events. These uh, sutas were royal officials. They have collected these Puranas, which were the stories of the royalty. That's the reason why they keep saying that the they belong to the Vamsas of the Manu. Vamsu Manvantaranchi or Vamsanu Chayaman. Vamsanu Charitam says. Vamsanu Charitam says basically what we call the genealogies. So what he had collected, they, the Sutas collected, they have kept it as their knowledge which was passed down from generation to generation or from a guru to a sishya for a long period. And these, there are, if there, there are Puranas, there are as many Puranas collected by the sutras who were in the courts of different kings. The number of lineages that you find out of the Manu's uh, progeny is that, I mean, you have Suryavamsha, Chandravamsha, and then, I mean, you have Ikshvakus and Vaidehas and Suryavamsha, and then you have uh, Purus and Yadus and later day Bharatas and probably Bharadwajas also, they all come from the Chandravamsha. So there are so many kings, the kings of Kashi, the kings of Videha, the kings of Ayodhya, the kings of uh, Pratishtana, the kings of Chedi, the kings of uh, Yadu kingdoms and the confederation of Yadus, the kings of Gandhara. There are so many kings and each of them must have had a court poet, a sutta, and he had compiled it. So what Vyasa had done is he had taken this tremendous amount of knowledge, put it together and made it into one comprehensive whole. Probably that was what is called the earliest in the old Purana. And we have been hearing, whenever I mean there is a discussion on Puranas, and then we keep talking about the Panchalakshanas of Puranas. There are the five, which are the Sarga, Pratisarga, Vamsho Manvantaranja, Vamshan Charitam, Chaiva Puranam Panchalakshana. That means, I mean, he is actually I mean, talking about only four. I don't know how to divide the Vamsho Manvantaranja into two different items. So there are only four, and then he says it's Panchalakshana. And then if you actually notice in that one particular sloka, Sargascha, Pratisargascha, Vamsho Manvantaranicha, Vamshanu Charitam, Chaitva. There are so many Chakaras. I mean, we used to have, a, I mean, there is one legend where Kalikasa actually saw an image of uh, uh, Vedavyasa. It is big, hot belly. And he goes and then I mean puts his finger in his navel and says that the grandpa, all those chakaras are inside your stomach. So Vedavyasa uh, is called Chakar Kukshi. What is his fault? 
I don't think so. There are so many extrapolations in the Puranas for over a period of time, which have the people with lesser uh, uh, ability to write without the chakaras and tukaras have filled up the Puranas into encyclopedia size. So what happened is, Vedavyasa must have given some. So it is full of chakaras. Actually, I mean, there is an older uh, uh, sloka, which is again common to quite a few of the major Puranas, which talks about, which says that Akhyana is Shakti, Upakhyana is Gadha with Kalpa Jokti, Purana Sanghitam Chakre, Purana Arthishara. Here, what he is saying is Akhyanas, Upakhyanas, Gadhas, and Pancha Jokti. The Jokti is something which a lot of people have got different opinions. I mean, different translations are available about punch, uh, once, uh, the Kalpa Jokti. Kalpa is basically time. So, I mean, I feel that it is more like a chronological order or a timely order. Since he says chakra, that each of these chronological order is one chakra, which is psychical. How he had deciphered was what he had done is he had taken everything and put them in a linear way. So each of these cycles, he had taken them and put them in some kind of linear, linear fashion. The linear fashion starts from Manu to his descendants to various yugas and then comes all the way up to Mahabharata period, which was his time. And later, whatever that was, the other kings that came after the Mahabharata war were also added to the same list. But by whom, we don't know. But they were at. So this Vyasa had, uh, when he looked at this uh, thing, he, what he called these Puranas are Akhyanas, Upakhyanas, Gathas, mainly. And then whatever the system that he followed to put them together. Gathas is a very, very old word, which, which is almost, I mean, the Vedic, it's more like, I mean, old, old legends more than the recorded history. These legends uh, appear with the same name in Zoroastrian uh, Avesta also. That part of the stories is also called Gathas. So Gathas is one thing which we say, I mean, is a very, very old area. And then we have Akhyanas and Upakhyanas. Like, I mean, Barnabhad, when he wrote Kadambari, he called this book an Akhyanika. Akhyanika, I the, the Kadambari is considered to be the first novel ever written in uh, Sanskrit, probably in across the world. So this novel, the novel is in a, completely a European term, so uh, the French term novella. So keep that aside. But when he said that Akhyanika is a novel, a short novel, Akhyana must be a a much bigger, a larger compendium of story, a, a story, a single story. Similarly, Upakhyanas may be the short story. What he had done is the stories of the kings and the shorter incidents or, I mean, descriptions of smaller incidents and smaller uh, events that had happened during their period. And then he had compiled them together as Puranas. So 
he said this he had given to Lomaharshana, who was a Sutta again, and said, keep it with you. This is a tradition, you take it. But later, this has gone into the hands of a uh, hands of the Brahmin, or I mean the traditional seers, because they because the sutras lost their patronage. After the Mahabharata war, we have what is called Kaliva, a dark age. And the seers, everybody was crying, saying, There are no kings, there is no dharma, there is nobody who is able to patronize us. We, we are living on Kanda uh, Mulas, that's like, I mean, the roots and uh, leaves in the ashramas in the forest. Even the, uh, the later Vedic texts like Aranyakas and Upanishads, they were all written during this particular period, which was the, the, it was a period immediately after Mahabharata war. A lot of people try to say that these are older than Mahabharata. But the thing is, probably the knowledge within them is much older. But when it was codified, written in a book, it was done during or immediately after the Mahabharata war. I don't want to get into marking that this was the date of Mahabharata war. But one thing I can say is Mahabharata war marks the end of a grand civilization. When the civilization is ended, is a date that we can get from various other sources, which I leave it to various researchers because I don't see my opinion is mine. I don't want to kind of say that this is my opinion, this is the truth. The truth could be anywhere between me and somebody else's opinion somewhere in the middle, wherever. I mean. So the tradition, uh, so what, what we are coming to is, the entire traditional knowledge that we have was written, like, I mean, if I, if I go to my grandmother and ask her about my own family, she will tell me something. Now I want to recall it. She will tell me the story of her grandparents or, I mean, our ancestors or some family legends and things like that. How do I record? I will record it in English, which can be understood today. I don't write in the language of my forebears. I write it in the language which I am converting. Similarly, when Vedavyasa had codified Rigveda, probably he had taken the language of his times. So the Sanskrit which was there in Rigveda or in the later Puranas probably belonged to Vedavyasa's period. Some of the uh, uh, so, I mean, big Vedic mantras probably were quoted intact as they were from the earlier uh, knowledge that he, he had taken. But some of them probably he had incorporated, especially the later Vedic and then the, the Brahmanas and others. They come very, very close to the classical Sanskrit, very close to, they're not still classical Sanskrit, but very, very close to everything. But Vedas themselves, he says, they were not in Sanskrit, they were in a language called Vak. So we uh, we really don't know which language they belong to. Because I mean, why I am insisting on languages, that was the crux of all the fights that are happening about the history of Indian antiquity. We all talk about the timing of the language, timing of when did Indians speak a 
particular language, which is Indo-Aryan language, when did they speak? This is the crux of the entire, you know, fight going on between two completely polarized uh, sects of academicians. But if you actually, you know, try to go logically, saying that it is possible that certain things were written a little later, or this language had existed even earlier. So there are a lot of, uh, I mean, the people hadn't changed much from the uh, uh, mid-Holocene to today, the genetic content of the people in India has not changed much. They're all, I mean, about the same. Your mother is same. They still say that there is a single mother for all the Indians, probably called, we can call her Bharat Mata. So the, the new, uh, the scientific disciplines, which are like, I mean, contributing a lot to the, our knowledge of history, are also saying certain things, which we need to consider. But none of these scientific uh, evidence, none of the evidence from literature or epigraphy is first hand. Everything that we get is second hand. There is no eyewitness except one. There is only one eyewitness to history. Who is this eyewitness to history? There is only one. She had seen everything that has happened. She is the Earth Mother. The Earth Mother, the Bhumi on which we live, on which the Bhumi sustained millions of species, including the human being. This Earth Mother is the only witness that we have got. And problem is, even historians, when it comes to what the Mother Earth tells the historian and what the epigraphy tells. I mean, let's say archaeologist. She is a guy who actually digs deep trenches into the Mother Earth and tries to find some kind of you know, knowledge. I and mean, we try to gain some knowledge from the Mother. But he also puts the epigraphical evidence ahead of what the Earth Mother is telling him. Same is the case with the literature. This epigraphy or literature is based on certain simple things. When it was written, it was written in the language of that time in which the author is conversant based on what is the target group that he has. If his target group is something which is going to listen to a particular language and particular ideology, he is going to write about it and about the Harikiran who is publishing whatever that, that he is writing. Arikran means, I mean, I'm talking about my uh, publisher of the, the patron. Whoever is going to pay for it also will have to be taken into account. This is how the book comes out. This is how the written evidence about history comes out. So it has got the patron, it has got the target group, it has got the author's capabilities. And in addition to that, there is something called what is the purpose. Every author thinks that he is writing this with a particular purpose. To tell people 
something that they don't know or tell people what to do to tell people what is right what is wrong these are the things which dictate what is written and these are weighted they create the bias they take it is not take it away in terms of i mean they are not actually recording history without a they were not recording history they were writing history they are creating their own narratives whether it was Max Muller or Jones, or whether it was uh, Kalidasa when he is talking about Raghuvamsa, or even earlier, probably even Vedavyasa when he was writing about Kalidasa. They all had the same problem. They were writing their own versions of what had happened. They were not eyewitnesses to what had happened. The only eyewitness that we have is the mother of i'll tell you one simple uh, example somebody who has a has this uh, biodata this uh, date of birth place of birth all everything is legal it is true legally true and he goes to his mother and mother says oh bede date of birth is Whatever that is there in the record is not the not your date of birth. You are born on some other day, but I mean for the convenience of your school and your academic academia, we have actually changed the date to some July 10th. Oh, then you say place of birth. No, no, today I mean you are not born in Bombay, but I mean since we are all living and it is easier, I mean we have picked up one birth certificate from Saint John Hospital, and then I mean we have put you. As Bombay, you are actually born in Yellowstone. So, it is wrong. Who is right? Mother. If it, if it goes to the father's name, then I mean you can have even bigger uh, uh, shocks. Of course, I mean, fortunately, I mean, hope he doesn't. But the thing is, this is how it is. Only the mother tells the truth. Whatever the literature tells you, whatever the epigraphy tells you, take it with a pinch of salt. Check it with what your mother is telling you. Your mother is something which is very, very easy to read. For example, if I get up early in the morning and ask my mother, what is there for breakfast? I'm very hungry. She will say, come. Why, why, why don't you come and have it? Why are you asking me? And if she says it with a smile, I know it is Idil. If she says it with a frown, I know it is Upma, because I don't like Upma. So it is so plain. The Earth Mother is there for you to go and read on the surface. When you are reading it on the surface, you are reading geomorphological. What you are doing is called the geomorphological. And it is also paleo-geomorphological. So you have been seeing, you have to compare notes. Earth is very, very large. So probably the earliest uh, uh, rural communities, uh, uh, agricultural communities happened. All of them happened at one particular latitude, maybe around 25 degrees north, <coughs> from North America to China. There is a whole Earth which tells 
a number of stories, the stories of the past, every crevice, every valley, every mountain, every uh, uh, this thing, desert has a story to tell. It is like, I mean, the researcher will have to take the mother of Earth to an MRI or X-ray and then take her to a doctor, figure out what Earth made of this is. So the, what his researcher is doing is he is using the latest techniques, the latest technology that is available to go and inspect this mother Earth. What have you done? Because you were born very late, so you don't know. I mean, what she had gone through for billions of years. So you try to understand on the surface, morphologically, the paleoclimatology, the paleo uh, geology, the, 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 the paleohydrology. So there are a whole lot of areas where I mean you can actually look at and try to understand and. Whatever that you gain from the literature, the second-hand sources like the literature and epigraphy, you test it against what has happened. So when you want to have a date for Mahabharata, go and ask the mother in the areas which were listed in Mahabharata as the four areas and ask her what was happening, mom, in that period. She will tell you Right, around 1400 to 1300 BC, there was nothing here. There was no, there were no crops. The new technology called uh, uh, the new MRI scan called the uh, thermoluminescence tells you from the pottery and from whatever that is there that there was there were no uh, uh, edible seed or edible pollen. Uh, uh, the, pollen of the edible uh, plant during that period. The number of uh, urban sites completely disappeared and there are a few and rural sites far between, I mean, far away from each other. That says that there is a population fall. Then there are Vidwanas and the Pushkaras where the late sediments tell you that there was the, there's hardly anything there to eat. So when the mother tells morphologically on her surface, and probably if you dig a little deeper archaeologically, from or you go and do a scan, go to a remote sensing satellite and take the images, and then I mean check. She will tell you another story. These are the stories which should confirm whatever that the literature is saying. If the literature is saying something different from these dates or something different from what your mother is telling, then the literature is wrong. So what you need to do is confirm the timeline with the help of literature, but confirm them with the mother of. Today, actually, I mean, when um, Dr. Nagraj Garu told me about uh, a session on geomorphology and climatology. I was very, very excited because I mean, there is so much of research, so much that is going to come up. I am going to be a good listener than a uh, contributor to the knowledge of geomorphology. Or I mean, the mother. Of. There are things like I mean, you have 
the mountains, you have uh, references to the mountains and hills. There are so many Vats, like I mean, Varanavat, Munjavat, Himavat, everything is said, I mean, is, are they really mountains? Are they something different? Are they some kind of pyramids or jigurats or some kind of temple broken? We really don't know. Just something which was probably has come derived from Vata, which is a uh, banyan tree, because all the way to Polynesia, the word for a settlement or a village is comes with the uh, suffix Vata. We have so many wards and wadis and vatas and wadas. I live in Dajwada, Vijayawada which is again a derivative from a banyan tree, a vada, vatika, vata. All of that came from water, which is basically probably, I mean, we are going into a much, much earlier layer of knowledge, which indirectly the mother is providing. Similarly, there are agricultural practices, which are mentioned in Puranas. Then, I mean, she will also have evidence of those agricultural practices and just little below the surface. Like, I mean, we have Balarama, who is called Sankarshana. Now, Sankarshana, probably, I mean, he was a transplanter. He is also a Haldar. So he was a plowman. Uh, that means, I mean, he was an agriculturist, a cultivator, and also called Sankarshana. Sankarshana means, I mean, you are talking about, you know, transplanting a uh, sapling or something to another place. So these Quran, are the Puranas and the literature telling us something in a kind of mitophyte uh, fashion. The truth is slightly more hidden than what is apparent to you. These are the things which you can only check with the Mother Earth through techniques of archaeology and Geomorphology. Yes. So it is the Earth Mother is the only person who will be able to confirm. So everything that I have written in uh, uh, in my book Rings of Harappa, <coughs> I try to confirm those data points, the data, or data against what I could find at that particular period based on climatological or geomorphological uh, changes that had taken place, which was not something which is not my knowledge because I am not a researcher. These are, this is all my secondhand knowledge. Somebody else has written a book. Somebody talks about the Saraswati River. Somebody tells me about the Atlanticum of space around 4,500 BC when there was an increase in sudden pulling of the, of the earth after the hole, in the hole, in mid There is something called I mean, the, the mountain Meru. What could have been the, the, the sea of milk? All these things were based on juxtaposing the literary evidence against the geomorphological or archaeological evidence. That's how, I mean, I... I, I try to you know arrive at a kind of narrative, which I am saying 
may not be the right thing. But to me, actually, I mean, when I was doing it, it surprised me at many, many times that there is, there is a continuous thread of a historical narrative from, say, the earliest phase in the Indian subcontinent, the Mahargad times, all the way to the uh, 14th, I mean, the end of the Harappan period. So it's a period something like uh, almost about 6,500 6, years, which is much, much more than the period of later civilization, which, which has started, like, I mean, before the beginning, with the beginning of the axial civilization, which, which, which actually, you know, uh, uh, make what we are. That is, the starting from around 600 BC, the beginning of Brahmanism, the Jainism, Buddhism, the Tao, Confucianism, the, uh, the Greek philosophy, the Greek Roman philosophy, all of them happened around one period, which contributes to the most of the philosophical groundwork or the framework of what we are. But the thing is, what was earlier is much, much longer than what it is now. This, to understand this, only person who can tell us what it is is the Earth Mother, and that is where we must go to understand what it was and what made us all. So I am very, very excited to listen to some of the scholars who are presenting today, especially about the climatology, geomorphology that is there encapsulated in the traditional knowledge called Purana and probably the other texts which are compendia of the Vedas and uh, in the later texts, the literature, classical, I mean, uh, knowledge, like, I mean, Ramayana, the description of the fauna, the uh, flora of the Deccan. I mean, you cannot get a better source than Ramayana. Uh, similarly, I mean, Kalidasas, which is Kalidasas, Megasandhus tells you about like, I mean, it is like I mean, a drone view of entire India from north to south. Yesterday, Vivek Babu was talking about Ramayana being the north-south axis and uh, Mahabharata is east-west axis from Dandhara to Anga or the main uh, characters in Mahabharata. Whereas, I mean, uh, Ramayana talks about Ayodhya, which is north all the way to Lanka, which is not South Africa. So I mean, this is this is how I mean you can look at the the uh, uh, country we are in from the top. Probably a, a Google satellite image was created at the a drone image, especially the megasandals. All these things, this knowledge can only be verified by checking with what is the material evidence that the Earth Mother provides. And I am only going to say thanks most importantly. I must thank all the scholars who have come, especially from the, the Cook Foundation Institute 
and uh, their contribution to what is happening with the credit improvement knowledge. And the second thing that I uh, want to thank most is uh, the team behind Indicate Right, like Srinivas and Ram Prasad and others who have been working very, very hard, which I can notice. And without them, all this is very important. And of course, Harikiran uh, Garu and Maharaj And I think that is a big point of their time. So let us go into the past tags, which are the presentations made by the academic researchers, which are going to be more interesting to me than whatever I had to say. And uh, please do read my book, Yunusya Parappa. And I'm, I'll promise you one thing, it is not an easy read. But only thing is, it may give you a reason to believe that somebody else could be, could also be right. Somebody else could also be right. Wherever you are, whether you go here, or you go here, or you go somewhere else. But Always look at the other person's point of view. The truth could always be somewhere in between. And if the mom tells you, boys, this is the right thing to do, that's the right thing. So check with the earth mother. Thank you very much. Namaste all. And uh, Nagraj Garu. Namaste. Namaste, sir. Hi. Thank you Hi. very much. Uh, your presence uh, actually scintillated the session on uh, geology, geomorphology. All the youngsters uh, who are going to present papers uh, are going to uh, take cue from you, uh, the senior uh, person in the field. 